reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 11, verses 32 through 44. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed and you, that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The Gospel of the Lord. A few years ago, and I think I shared this with you, that I asked somebody that was married twice. And her first marriage, she ended up in a divorce, and her second marriage, she, uh, her husband had cancer and passed away. And I said to her, and I asked the question, I said, I'm sorry if this is so insensitive, but I'm just, because I went through a divorce 25 years ago, and I was thinking, what is worse? Is a divorce worse or a death of a spouse worse? And um, she gave me an answer immediately. She said, the divorce. And I said, are you serious? She goes, yeah, what happened is when you go through a divorce, you question the memories. But when you go through a death, you cherish the memories. And I thought that was a deep statement because to me, I, I got that because 25 years ago, all I was doing was questioning everything. Have you ever gone through that when you're grieving something or going through some despair? You're trying to process things over and over and over and over. And get this. You're very repetitive, and you're driving your friends crazy. Because there's times in my life that I, I was saying, why this, why this? I don't get this, I don't get this, I don't get this. And then I get to them three days later, and I sound like a broken record. I don't get this, I don't get this, I don't get this. So I'm dominating the entire conversation because my heart's broken, and I notice my friends are going, you drain me. But they won't say it. They just won't be available to spend time with you anymore. I'm busy. What do you mean you're busy? It's Saturday morning. Who's busy on Saturday morning? You know, I'm going to Habitat for Humanity. <laughs> I didn't sign up, but I'll, I'll find something. <laughs> okay? But I don't know. It's interesting to me because sometimes we've had friends that have just got the bad news, and we go, oh, good night. How am I going to deal with this? Or basically a doctor that said, hey, it doesn't look good for you. Or a person that's gone through a divorce or God forbid that someone loses a job right before the holidays. Or somebody that they love seriously just passed away. 
how do we deal with it? Because we want to be compassionate, we want to be loving, but sometimes, man, we just don't want people to drain us so much, right? And so we avoid them. We go, oh, I don't know what to say. We're going to start talking about the divorce again. Let's talk about this again. And so, so many times we try to avoid eye contact or avoid them or not sure what to say. Now, this is especially when, especially when you're dealing with somebody that have lost a loved one. And it's interesting because our culture in the United States that we live in is not, we, we're not taught on how to deal with grief. We're not taught on how to walk somebody through grief. And so what we do is we go, I don't know how to do this. And I've noticed that people, good intention, but they say some things that are not helpful at all. Have you noticed that? You're just going, seriously, that's all you could say? And that didn't help me at all in this process. Like, there's a lot of fishes in the sea. Somehow my analogy is I'm in this ocean of despair, and now I'm fishing for another, another woman. Or you'll meet somebody else. Well, I don't want to meet somebody else. Or you'll get pregnant again. I don't want to get pregnant again. I want my first child that I lost in pregnancy. Or you'll meet someone else. All this stuff, or you'll get another job. It's good intentions, but it's not helpful at that moment. And I wonder why, because I put it on the screen. We want to bring people words of hope. But what we need to bring to the grieving person is the presence of Jesus through our presence. Instead of saying stupid things or crazy things or things with good intentions to a sad person, we often need to just shut up just pass the tissue. You see where I'm going here? So why do we as a culture in America do such a poor job coming alongside of people, coming alongside a person that's grieving, especially a loss of a loved one? And I put it back on the screen, and I think this is it. We tend to gloss over grief. Nobody enjoys grief. Nobody goes, hey, I've got a grief class. If you're not going to grief, this is a great class to come, and we'll, we'll teach you how to grieve. Everything's good. No, nobody chooses grief. Grief happens because of circumstances in our life that happen. Because I think a lot of us have been brought up to be taught to be notoriously optimistic. Happy, happy, happy. I always praise the Lord. You know where I learned that from? Happy Days, Vicky Descarero. You remember her? You gotta be 45 or older to understand that. That's what I learned. It's the only coronation I have, but anyway. And so what we end up doing is, is therefore, we, we think we need to fix somebody. We need to get them to smile. We need to kind of bring them through the grief, through the happiness and joy and stuff like this. And so we feel like if we don't bring a person through that, we are a failure. And so, therefore, I was told when I was first in ministry, a 16-year-old just lost her mother, and I was a youth pastor. And one of the associate pastors comes up to me, and I was at the hospital when the mother died. This is way back in the 80s. This is what he said. Here, here's some money. Take them out to lunch. Make them laugh. Laugh? Okay. It's just like we, even at a church, in our society sometimes, we feel like, look, don't let them think about it. Don't let them try to get it off their mind. And so therefore we say things like, 
Praise the Lord, you will see that person again. Well, that's true. But it's not comforting, is it? Not at that moment. Or the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. I don't feel any strength right now. Or the, the one that I hear a lot, it's good intention, but it's hard. God needs another angel. You heard that? I don't think he does. Because it says in scripture he could have called 10,000 angels. So the dude has a lot of angels. And so, so we look at it this way. So we don't have to worry about that. And so, um, now I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying all Christians are this way, and, and hopefully our church is not this way, but what do we do at services or funerals? How do we go with somebody through grief? I did a service, a funeral service uh, yesterday here in the sanctuary to Raymond's dad, and he was a diehard Dodger fan. And uh, so they wanted a celebration, and so we, we mixed it up. This is the first funeral that I've done that we actually broke it down in innings because he was a hardcore Dodger fanatic. So we had nine innings in our service. And on the seventh inning, you know what Brooke led? Take me out to the ball game. And they passed popcorn and all that stuff out. It was a time of celebration of a person's life, but a time of grieving as well. It was where we experienced every type of emotion in that service. And so, yes, it was, how do we do this? So we look at Scripture today, and this is fascinating because what we do is we're called followers of Jesus. So how did Jesus handle grief? And it's interesting, when you look at this text, it's what he said and what he didn't say, that, didn't say that's so powerful. And so if we follow Jesus' example when it comes to grief, when it comes to loss. Now follow me on scripture. I put it on the screen. John chapter 11, 32 through 35. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you've been there here, my brother would have not died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? Then said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus began to weep, so the Jews said, See how he loved him. Now this was a very good friend of Jesus. I would say they were bros. They were best friends. And how he dealt with it and how he handled it. But he said, in these four verses, says a lot about Jesus' character and how Jesus handled the loss of his friend and how he dealt with it. Now, Mary and Martha were the brother of Lazarus, and Lazarus died and left Mary and Martha to mourn the loss. And the first thing you'll notice, and I put this on the screen, Jesus did not say, my father needed another angel in heaven. He said, Jesus did not say, it's okay, I've got this, stop your crying, don't you believe in me. Yeah, don't you believe in me? And so when somebody cries, Jesus allows them to cry. He didn't say, no, no, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And the reason we do this, and I do the same thing, because I start crying. You know, when someone cries, one tear, I'm a, I'm a waterworks. And so how did Jesus handle this? If you look on the screen, the, the three things I've noticed, he said little. He didn't say much which is the best thing in the world to do. If you don't know what to say, don't say it. 
You just don't say it. And he didn't. He didn't do it. All he said was five words, and he said, where have you laid him? That's it. Where have you laid him? The second thing I've noticed is that he grieved deeply. Uh, he grieved and deeply was moved. And see, this is what's interesting about Jesus. He did not bring Mary and Martha out of the grief. He went into the presence of their grief. See the big difference? And this is where it's difficult for us because we don't want to go into grief with them. We want to go, hey, hey, let's go to a movie. Let's do this or let's try to do this. But he went into the presence. And so when I was looking at this in my personal life, I go, dang, dude, this is what Jesus does with me. He goes into the presence of my despair or my sadness or my, uh, or if I'm questioning everything or my physical frustrations with my heart. He's there in the presence with me. He's feeling what I'm feeling. And so the, the third one, if you notice, is he weeps. I love this. You know, when we, we, when we go into the service or we have somebody that, um, I, did you remember when Peggy was sick? Uh, Peggy was sick. Jennifer, on the way there, uh, was crying. And I bought into this stupid concept. I go, look. And this is, I, I think it was three or four days before she passed. And I, and I told Jennifer, do not cry in front of her. Don't cry in front of her. You know, and stuff like this. Because I'm thinking, no, you don't need to be doing this. You know how we think this. And so, and I, and I, I, was, I wasn't a jerk. Well, maybe I was. But I said, are you okay? And she goes, fine. And so we walk in there, in the hospital room. Peggy had eye contact with Jennifer. Peggy lost it. Jennifer lost it. And I lost it. See, the thing is, we have to understand this, and this is hard for me too, is that when somebody grieves, we've got to go in that presence with them. We have to do it. We have to deal with it. And so this is interesting because we don't need to be strong for anybody. We buy in this concept, because our culture does this, that I have to be strong. Why? Strong for who? Who has to be strong? And what does that mean? Because when you're strong for somebody, there's an emotional disconnection away from that person because they feel totally isolated when you're trying to be strong. And so everyone's like, they're feeling it. There's a huge elephant in the room, especially on Thanksgiving or Christmas, but nobody's saying anything because they're being strong. And so you have to say, look, this is a time, and this is where I, I have to do with, well, when I'm with my family, I go, man, I miss my mom. And then all of a sudden the conversation starts. But it takes somebody to say, man, this sucks. I want my mom here. Right? And so therefore there's a connection. And I've noticed this, that we don't connect with successes. And I said this a few weeks ago. We connect with grief. We do that. Ray, Ray Pelling, who I did at Dad's funeral, that um, one time I was going, <laughs> we, he's cut my hair for 20 years. See? <laughs> Poor Ray. Ray. Ray, I love him because what he does, he's very, you know how I'm judgmental when it comes to cars? And everyone goes, I'm, you know, I'm judgmental. Just clean your car. Just clean your car. That's all you do. Clean the car. I don't have time. Yeah, well, it's not a priority. I do this. What Ray does, he does the same thing, but cut your hair. You need to wear your hair different. You need to do this because he analyzes people's hairs. 
you guys. That's why he's sitting in the back. Because <laughs> you're looking at the back of your hair to see if it's cut straight. I know, right? <laughs> but there was one conversation before his dad passed was he was talking about his dad with dementia. And my mother is in stage seven dementia. There was a connection right there because I understood his frustration. You know, most of the time he's telling me jokes that I never could tell in the church. <laughs> but man, that one time there's a connection because we shared a common grave because it wasn't, I'm scared to do it. And so look on the screen, screen, screen. It's hard enough to go through grief, but it's unbearable to go through it alone, isn't it? We can tell grieving people that God is with them, but they won't know it until we are willing to be with them. Right? And so in that case, we need to know how to bring somebody through grief. So we did this, we, we looked up research of these studies, and they spend millions and millions of dollars on, on these studies. And they did a study that shown that what people want and what people need during grief. And it wasn't cliche little sayings, like get over it or move on or you'll find someone else. But if you follow me on the screen, this is what they've put together, what people need in the time of loss. Is when someone is scared, they want somebody to be with me. I want someone to share my experiences. I cry. I want you to cry with me. I don't want you to do much of anything. I don't really want you to talk much. Or I want to be held. I want someone to dry my tears. I want someone to look into my eyes. And I want to know you are glad to be with me. These are some of the things that, that we as, as in our culture kind of gloss over. Now, I've done, uh, the last thing on the screen is learn, let's learn to weep with those who weep and to pass the tissues. Now, if you notice at the beginning of the month of October, we did what's called the recalibration. And I introduced you to a bunch of people that are leading, and you're going, okay, wh what are they doing? Well, in the month of November and December and January, I'm going to slowly introduce different ministries that are going to develop. And one of the ministries, I'm going to ask if Dana can come forward. And Dana is, heading, is going to be heading up our Stevens ministry that focuses on grief. That focuses, because we've noticed that when people are going through a lot of despair, a lot of loss in life, what they do is they go, I just don't want to face anymore. I don't, I'm tired of people asking me about this. I'm tired of people asking me about that. So I'm just going to isolate myself. And isolation is a hard thing. And so Dana and I went to a workshop. And, uh, and we as a church are committed to uh, send her to a training school in Anaheim for an entire week of dealing with it and how we can develop this type of ministry when it comes to coming alongside of people. So tell us about the ministry, Dana. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Okay. So the Stephen Ministry, um, it started in 1975, and I believe it was in St. Louis. 
Kenneth, I can't pronounce his last name, but I'm going to say Hawk. And he's the minister, and he felt that he was just too busy to, to make sure that he can reach every single person that of, who were going through some type of grief in the church. So he decided to go out to the congregation, lay people out in the congregation. And so Stephen Ministry is just for people who are in the congregation with one person who is a lead, and then they will train the other people who want to be a part of that ministry. And it's really to take care of those who have a loss, not so much a loss of a death, because that's the first thing we think of, but to think of the aftercare of those people who have a loss. Because when you lose a person, everyone is there, they're at your house, the phone calls are coming, they're bringing you food, and then a couple weeks later, a couple months later, there's nobody. And you have to go, so you're left alone. And even family, as he would say, even family kind of go, oh, I got something to do, uh, habitat. So, 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 but we will be there for you to um, pray for you. Um, we have connected with uh, the prayer ministry so we can connect because we're pretty much together. I'm, I'm looking over at Renee. And we're pretty much together, so we've kind of connected between myself and Renee. And um, so these are the kind of people that um, we will recognize. Um, this is called the after people. And it's after the phone call you hope you'll never get after the funeral when everyone has left and the emotions you've held at bay come crashing in on you, after the relationship falls apart and the bottom falls out of your life, after the doctor says, I'm sorry, but there's nothing more we can do, after the nursing home director shakes your hand and says, welcome to your new home, after the last child honks the horn, waves, drives away, and the house suddenly seems empty, uh, after the gavel comes down, the handcuffs go on, and your loved one is led away. After the baby arrives, demanding more of you than you ever dreamed possible. I'm sure a lot of you can recognize that. After you find a pink slip with your final paycheck, and after your family and friends have heard your story one too many times, but you still need to talk it out. So those are some of the examples of the people that we will be ministering to you. Just, just, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> and how it works is really interesting because when we were at the training, uh, the Stevens ministry that will slowly develop within the church, within you guys, if you're interested, they're assigned a person that's going through any of these things. And so, therefore, it's almost like you, you contact them, we have books and stuff and de development, and it, it's bringing somebody, bringing you into their presence. And so this is a really powerful ministry. And this is where Dana is just natural at doing this. And uh, she, I mentioned this a few years ago. She went to visit my brother, unbeknownst, you know, uh, about three years ago, all the way to Glendale, went to the wrong hospitals, then found him, and then stayed there for an hour to visit my brother. I just mentioned it in my sermon. But... It was so powerful and so effective for me going, dang, someone actually went to visit my brother in the hospital. And so I, I've had an eye on this girl because she has a heart for seeing things. And so we kind of put her to the test, not, not to the test, but there was a couple that used to come to this church yeah. that just a few weeks ago, yeah. why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so 
and I get a text. I get a text from Pastor Ruben, and he says there's someone that their dad is in hospice, and he's in hospice care at their house. And I was wondering if you could kind of reach out to them. And so um, I said, okay. So I did. And so I said, um, let's talk around 430. That's when I get off of work. And they happen to be close to where my kids go to school. So um, I just went by. Uh, I said, i got to bring them something. And so I got to a gift shop, got some something, and then kept the kids in the car. And I uh, went, went to the house. And um, in entering the house, it was very quiet. And so he led me to his dad. And I've been in um, a medical field for like 21 years, so I'm, I've seen, heard, done it all. There's nothing that can shock me at this point. And so when I went there and I heard the father, heard him, saw him, I just was just kind of just like, oh, this is just, uh, I mean, I, I really felt, I can't say I felt his pain, because I don't know what his pain is like, but I just felt, I felt the warmth, I felt just this amazement of this wonderful son taking care of his dad, his beautiful wife taking care, his best friend who's with him taking care, the, just the compassion and the love, and the, and the father who is just basically passing away in front of me. So I just said a quick prayer, made sure they were okay, and then it was just something, just to know that I cared and I just wanted to be present. Um, and then he was on my mind, he was on my heart, and I was with Pastor, and I said, you know, I, I, I really wonder what's going on with them. So the Pastor said, you should text him. And I text him, and he says, you know what, my dad died later on that evening that you came to visit. But he was just so gracious and so, just so encouraging that, you know, Thank you so much. Thank you for visiting me. Thank you so much for your presence from the church. And I just really feel like grateful of that. Right. So, And this is where the church needs to get out of the pews and go and visit the sick, right? If somebody is interested in getting involved in Stephen's ministry, how would they do that to partner with you? Okay. So I believe they started, um, I don't know if they started the email. We're going to, because we had kind of briefly talked about it. And so we're trying to put up an email. I believe it's going to be Care Ministries and Marina. Um, uh, we're going to try to start that. But if you want to come to me after church, if you're kind of interested in being a part of it, um, it's not going to start until next year. But if yeah, then I can, like, we can exchange numbers. I'll keep you informed as we go. And we'll just start it there. But until the actual uh, email goes up, you'll see it, and then we'll just kind of communicate that way. So if you're interested, just fill out your connection card, yeah. and we can forward it to her, to her. And then, you know, next year is January. And so she has a training in February. We'll slowly develop this ministry. And so if you know somebody outside the church that's going through a difficult time in life, connect them to her, to Stephen's ministry. And so our, our goal by June of next year that we'll have a team of Stephen ministers that, that can be just contacted and say, look, and with a loving heart, not saying stupid things and saying good things. And so as we go into the prayers of the people, I want to I'll encourage you because the prayers of the people has, has been more and more and more. And uh, 
listen to the prayers of the people, and you can see when we pray for them, you can see how important it is for this ministry to develop. Because during the prayers of the people, this is who they are going to minister to once they get developed. So when you have a prayer, you can be assigned a team member that will walk alongside of that person or whoever they want, you know, and uh, hospital visits and anything like that. It'd be, it'd be really good. So let's stand up and we'll have the prayer for the people.